Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our executive pastor, Manny Colazzo. Well, good morning. My name is Manny. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not the lead guy. I get, to, I get the privilege of helping him out every week. And so I get to help him out this week by filling in for him. So great to be here. Happy Mother's Day to y'all. Great to see you all. How many moms here in the house? Raise your hand. Nice. Unfortunately, I don't get to be with my mom. She's on the East Coast in Florida. Um, and so I don't get to see her, but you know, as a single mom, only child, we kind of have this uh, special connection. And so I just thought it'd be cool. Would you guys be okay if I give her a call to wish her happy Mother's Day? Would you join that? Join me with that? Awesome. Cool. Let me let me see if I can give her, get her on the phone. Hold on a second. Hola, mi hijo. Hi, mom. ¿Cómo está? She just said, hi, my son. And I said, I'm doing well. How are you? And she goes, hey, and how are you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm about to teach a sermon here, but I didn't want to get started without calling you to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Happy, Thank you. Happy Mother's Thank Day. Thank you. You got any uh, special plans today? Are you doing anything special? Well, go to church. We already went to church, of course. Okay. And uh, we are having lunch at Tia Olga's house. Tia is aunt. With the girls Her and sister. Lorenzo. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, Anything it. else? Hey, I saw the picture that you texted me of you and Tia with the flowers. That looks awesome. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Carlos gave us flowers. Uh, Carlos is my aunt's husband. So, hey, um, so just to keep kind of keep going, but also keep this short. Do you have any uh, special memories to share with the folks? They're, they're seeing some pictures on the overhead screen of us when I was a baby, some of us as, you know, as a, well, they're all of when I was an adult, except for one. I have many memories of you when you were a baby, a mother's day. Do I dare ask and you to share one of those stories? Yeah, you, you, you always made your own cards. Uh, this one time you, you made myself portrait. I made and, a... Uh, on my cheeks, you drew a lot of dot, black dots. <laughs> so I asked, I asked you, what's this, mi amor? And you said, open it, open it, and you'll see. And instead of Mother's Day card, it says, Mom, the freckle face. <laughs> I used to have freckles, and you always used to make fun of them. <laughs> you said I had rust. <laughs> my, my cheeks. <laughs> you were always funny when I came to criticizing me. <laughs> you were very young. <laughs> well, they're all they're all laughing here, so I guess they must be enjoying your story of me. Oh, wow! Hey. I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I... church mothers, happy Mother's Day. God bless. All right, well, I'm going to say goodbye because I get it back to preaching and these guys are getting hungry, so I want to get them out Thank of here. Thank you. Love you. Love you more. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you who are grandmothers, aunts, mother figures in people's lives. 
here in our church. You all are a special blessing to us. You all serve in a, in a way, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes in front, um, always keeping things together. You know, it's not possible with you and your sacrifice and all that you do. We'd, so we'd love to bless you today as well. Um, we've arranged for a little photo booth action as you exit over in the Welcome Center. After the service, go ahead and grab your kiddos, your grandkids, your family, your friends, yeah, and uh, pull them over to the Welcome, State, Welcome Center to have a photo taken. And all those photos will be available on our Facebook page this evening. All right? Awesome. Let's jump into it. Do you like... Do you like numbers? How many of you are, are numbers people? Okay. <laughs> I just don't, uh, I don't know, numbers and me just don't do well. I, you know, I have a hard time remembering numbers. And Any of you f Sudoku fans because of that? Yeah, yeah. My mind just doesn't work like that, calculating and counting. But somebody, you know, why is it that we count? There are a lot of reasons, there are a lot of occasions in which we, we count. Counting is important because we want to be accurate. When you're cooking or, or baking, you want to be accurate with the ingredients because mistaking teaspoons for tablespoons of salt can drastically change the taste of what you're preparing, can it? I mean, could you imagine grabbing a, a delicious looking chocolate chip cookie? You bite into it and you, all you get is a mouthful of salt, saltiness, yuck. Any woodworker who's worth their salt knows the saying, measure, cut, and when we're at a store, we calculate the cash that is exchanged. They count the items in your cart as you exit Costco, and they compare it to the items on your receipt. Even health-conscious people, they understand the benefits of counting. They wear fitness trackers to count their steps. When they step on a scale, they're counting how many pounds have I lost or gained. Others count sheep to fall asleep. We count to evaluate risk. We count noses to tally how many people are in attendance. And I'm sure at some point, we've all been encouraged to count our blessings or advise, don't count your chickens before they hatch. But did you know that counting could also be stressful and sad? Perhaps you've experienced the stress of counting down the days to a deadline or felt the sadness of counting down the days to deployment. Or what about counting as a reason for joy and celebration? For example, holidays, birthdays, counting down the days to birthdays. Any birthdays in the house? You have a birthday right here? Awesome, happy birthday. You get to celebrate, your mother too? Awesome, good job, awesome. So you get double the gifts. We also have a uh, birthday on our staff, for those of you that know, where? Birthday here too? Awesome, happy birthday over here. And you heard them shout out Heather Whipple, she's kind of behind the scenes, she'll be hiding all day, but she, if she's doing her job, she cannot hide. Okay, so uh, find her on staff, ask people, who is Heather? I wanna wish her a happy birthday if you don't know who she is. So counting can be a reason for celebration. Birthdays, anniversaries, counting the days without injury on the job, or what about counting the days of sobriety? Well, that's a reason to celebrate, huh? That's right, awesome. Hey, we are constantly tracking and measuring, calculating, tallying. As a matter of fact, we learned to count at such an early age that we don't even realize how effortless it is to count. 
But when was the last time that you counted how much time you have left to live? Even though counting is easy, for some reason it takes some grit and strength to think about numbering our days. Today, I would like us to reflect on why it is wise to count our days from the perspective of Moses in Psalm 90. So you have your Bibles, Bobble Laps, go ahead and open up to Psalm 90. As the one who was commissioned by God to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt, Moses saw firsthand how short, fragile, and uncertain human life can be. Even from his birth, starting from his birth, I'm sure Moses' parents recounted for him the hostile environment he was born into. Out of fear that the Egyptians would be outnumbered and overpowered by the rapidly growing population of Israel, Pharaoh commanded that all the newborn Jewish babies be killed. Many years later, now Moses is a grown man. Even he killed an Egyptian slave driver for mistreating one of his fellow Israelites. And let's not forget that it was through him that God delivered the final blow, the 10th plague, the angel of death that caused Pharaoh to release Israel from captivity in Egypt. And so by the time of the Exodus, Moses was no stranger to the shortness, the uncertainty, and fragility of life. Their trek to the promised land should have only taken them 11 days, but due to their unbelief and rebelliousness against him, God didn't let them enter. Instead, they were relegated to the desert of the Sinai Peninsula for 40 years. Even though Moses saw God provide for them and protect them in some supernatural ways, he also witnessed every person except for, anybody know? Caleb and Joshua. He witnessed every person except for Caleb and Joshua in that original generation die. Well, at some point, as he contemplated his life, he was compelled to write this prayer that we have in Psalm 90. And would you like to know his bottom line request? If we had to boil it all down, it comes down to one statement. I try to imagine Moses like this while he's talking to God in prayer. He's mentally thumbing through all the significant scenes of his life story, his birth, the killing of the Egyptian, the Exodus, and all the wild adventures, adventurous experiences leading this entire generation of God's people. Like a movie quickly rewinding the scenes that reveal the climax, the tension in his prayer reaches a tempered point where he says in verse 12, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Would you ever have the nerve to pray that? God, inject into me an awareness of my own mortality. No? You can understand why. Usually, we have to be shocked by a crisis or scared straight by something life-altering to think about these weighty matters. Because we don't like to think about our own mortality. It feels morbid and depressing and scary. Some of us even deny our mortality. Others delay thinking about mortality until it's too late. But not Moses. Moses tests his mettle and asks God, Oh God, teach us to integrate an awareness of our mortality into our daily life. 
And he does this because he knows that people who assume that their life is infinite and live as if their days are innumerable are bound to be foolish. They'll waste their lives on cheap thrills and trivial pursuits, pointless uh, diversions, making dumb decisions, making no difference in anyone's life, having no effect on the world around them, living an inconsequential, meaningless existence. But God, if they could only learn to weave an awareness of their mortality into their daily lives, it will generate a wise use of the days and times that remain. Perhaps you're thinking, yeah, but nobody knows how much time they have left. And you're right. Only God knows when you will live your last day and breathe your final breath. And so my hope is that after our time considering the brevity and frailty and uncertainty of life, that it will motivate you to live the rest of your life wisely. And so to help you do that, I have a little illustration that I want us to hang on to as we go through this sermon. You should have, all of you should have received one of these measuring tapes. Don't worry, I'm not going to have, it wrap it, wrap, have you wrap it around your waist or anything like that. That's not what it's about. And because of that, to see this, there's one end, go ahead and unfold it. There's one end that has a place for you to write your name, weight, that kind of data. Go ahead and rip that piece off right at the line, right at the line. Go ahead and go ahead and throw that out. You don't need that piece. We're going to be using the centimeter side of this measuring tape, okay? And it represents the length of a person's life. The... The person, I mean, it's possible that the person, this could represent someone who is 102 years old or will be 102 years old. The average human life is about 80 years old. So for the, point, for the purpose of our illustration, let's just say we all know we're going to live to be about 80. We really don't know, but let's just take, now if you're 80 or older, don't do this. Okay. You, you get a pass. You get to use the whole, the whole measuring tape, okay? But what I want you to do is I don't want you to take the, where it says 80, if you are un, under the, younger than 80, and fold it and then tear it at 80, okay? Tear it at 80, if you're younger than 80. So now you should have your measuring tape going from one centimeter to 80 centimeters. Then what I want you to do is I want you to find the centimeter that represents your age. So mine is 25. No, just kidding. I am 48. So I'm going to find 48, and I'm going to tear it at 48. Find, you find the one that represents your age, and you tear it there. So this, from one centimeter to 48, represents the 48 years of my life. If I live to be 80... This represents how much time I have left. Okay? Here's what Moses wants us to do. Teach us to number our days. And here's why. He's telling us that calculating the brevity of life is wise. There is a wisdom that naturally comes out that this has to teach you. So hold on to this. 
Because I'll be continuing to refer this. Now, don't think, even if you're, you know, if you have a lot of life remaining, don't be foolish. You got a lot of life remaining. You can leverage it. You can use it. If you have a short life, don't worry. You can leverage it. You can use it. It's still wise. You can still learn and benefit from the wisdom that you're going to learn today. Calculating the brevity of life is wise. Why is it? That's the question I'd like for us to answer today. I'd like to give you four reasons why it is wise to calculate the brevity of life. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, Moses described what the generation he led into the Sinai desert endured. He said, God led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. Most of the land on the Sinai Peninsula is devoid of water and vegetation, making it a harsh, inhospitable, and almost an impossible area for human life to survive. For the 40 years that he spent in the wilderness, wandering, their lives were threatened by lack of food, water, disease, earthquakes, snakes, scorpions, and attacks from enemy tribes. And as Moses remembered how brutal desert living was, how it wore them out, broke them down, and how rapidly it aged them, it taught him why it was wise to calculate the brevity of life. And here's your first point. Calculating the brevity of life teaches us that an eternal God knows how brief our lives will be. An eternal God knows how brief our lives will be. This is what Moses acknowledges in the first two verses of his prayer. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Did you know that in the 40 years Israel wandered in the desert, they never settled down to establish a permanent residence to identify with and call home? They lived in tents. They roamed around like nomads. Now I know that for some of you who enjoy that kind of wilderness lifestyle and camping and backpacking, that sounds, oh man, that sounds wonderful. But can you do it for 40 years? Without REI? See, the day in and the day out, the grind of setting up camp, tearing down, moving, and setting back up gets old quick. It's back-breaking work, and it sucks the life out of you. But even though they were constantly relocating, Moses observed how God himself provided a sense of permanence for them. His presence in the form of that portable tabernacle, reminding them that he was a dwelling place, always with them, provided a sense of comfort security, and stability. When the harsh conditions of the desert endangered them, Moses witnessed how God, like a sturdy roof over a home, shielded them from the hot desert sun with a cloud and a pillar of fire to warm them at night. When they were pursued by the Egyptians as they crossed the Red Sea and attacked from enemy tribes, God defended them like the strong walls of a home. And do you remember the time when they complained to Moses? Did you lead us out here to let us die of hunger and thirst? We were better off in Egypt. And yet despite their faithlessness, Moses saw God's faithfulness when he fed them with manna, quail, and water like a meal cooked in a home. See, watching God come through for them as they experienced these threats instilled in Moses the wisdom of calculating the brevity of life. It didn't come easy but it taught him an invaluable lesson. 
that calculating the brevity of life teaches us that an eternal God knows how brief our lives will be. God was a dwelling place not only to them, but Moses says throughout all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, meaning that God was an eternal dwelling place. To every generation that existed and will exist, God will be what a dwelling place symbolizes. Safety, security, stability, provision, and rest. How about you? What do you do? How do you respond when life gives you a frightening reminder of how brief and frail and uncertain it can be? Do you pray? What do you pray? Perhaps if you've been listening to Pastor Nate's series, his recent work series that he started last week was on how hard work is and why work is hard. Perhaps for you, it's the grind of making a living, maintaining a quality life in an unstable economy that is reminding you of how uncertain life can be. The cost of living has increased. Your hard-earned dollar doesn't have the same buying power that it used to, and your job isn't giving you more hours. Your boss isn't giving you more dollars, or maybe you're living on a fixed income, and you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, pay the rent, the mortgage, or make the car payment. Are you praying? What are you praying for? Do you have the guts to pray what Moses prayed? Teach me. As I feel the pressure, the squeeze, teach me to number my days. What do your prayers sound like when reminded of how fragile life is when a loved one gets deathly ill? Do you get angry? Take matters into your own hands? Or are you the one to throw in the towel in frustration? Or, or do you throw a pity party when you're afflicted? I'm the only one going through this trial. No one understands. Or would you consider leaning in to the discomfort, the pain, the fear, and praying, teach us to number our days? Folks, no one gets a pass from the cruel moments that life in this world dishes out. Life has its ways of beating you down with suffering, serving up tragedies and punishing you. And all of that can, can feel like it's gonna crush your spirit. And during those moments, I think Moses' example is teaching us, do you have the guts to pray what Moses prayed? Teach us, teach us to number our days. See, calculating the brevity of life can be scary during moments like this but it is so wise. Like Moses, it is wise to allow these moments, these seasons, to make us aware that there is an eternal God, that you are not eternal, that only he knows how short your life will be. A daily dose of this is a tough pill to swallow, but I promise it will generate a wise use of the life that remains. How does it do that? Well, when the brevity of life is calculated into your life, it teaches you that this earth is not your home. God is. That even your home, your house, that place of dwelling where you find comfort and security, that you identify with what all of your belongings are, that you've invested so much into, even that home is insufficient to satisfy your deepest need for peace. Only God can. 
When you're scared, uncertain, and running on empty, the brevity of life teaches you that only an eternal God can supply your needs for safety, security, stability, and rest. Calculating the brevity of life is wise. Why? Because it teaches us that an eternal God knows how brief our lives will be. As Moses scrolls back through the significant scenes of his story, he recalls after having escaped Egypt that they could have easily cruised through the desert environment in just 11 days. They would have been living large, flourishing in a land so lush, so plentiful and fertile that it was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. But there was a problem within that short amount of time, seeing that beautiful, wonderful, grand, miraculous deliverance from from Egypt, there was a problem. They doubted God's character. They questioned his ability to make good on his promise to give them the land, and they started dropping like flies. Warning, you might not like what you're about to hear. You might not even be able to accept it. But another reason that this entire generation of people died in the wilderness is because God sovereignly determined it to be so. Read how Moses put it in verses three through six. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the, in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Notice how he said, you turn people back to dust. You sweep people away. Moses understood that death wasn't only a possession of of the old, but death also happens to the young. Even if you haven't lived all of your 80 years left and you only have 10 or 15 or 17 years of life under your belt, you don't know how much time you have left. No matter how hard they tried. They could have sheltered in place or not. They could have masked up or avoid wearing masks. None of them were in control of the way they were gonna die. They were not even capable of controlling the timing of their death Because God's perspective of time's passing is very different from ours. When compared to a timeless God, the number of years that they want or the number of years that they would have tried to live was insignificant to a God who's eternal. And so when he saw that God was sovereignly in control while this entire generation died, Moses saw how short and fragile, uncertain life was, and he learned a second reason why it is wise to calculate the brevity of life. Calculating the brevity of life teaches us that a sovereign God controls how brief our lives will be. Just to be clear, what this means is that we are not in control that the length of a person's life is entirely in the hands of God. And just like Moses watching this generation pass away, we're also confronted with sad events and experiences that continue, that confuse us because they have no explanation. Now I know we've tried to come up with some, when we're confronted with that in somebody else's life, we try to come up with some cute sayings to try to be, be helpful, you know, try to comfort them like, well, God needed another angel. 
I, I don't quite know what that means. You know, I, I, I'd like to know, but I, you know, I, and I know the reasons because you try to bring purpose and meaning to that. But have you discovered that there are traumatic events in life that we will never understand? Can you recall, are you recalling a difficult, experience, a difficult experience that you are still waiting for an explanation? Why? Why did they pass away like that? What about the struggles of that single mom or dad? It leaves you just kind of, what are you doing? What? How, how does that happen? Or the young couple struggling with infertility? Or the otherwise healthy teenager passing away in a freak accident? When the family member dies as a bystander or the death of a relationship, you can ask for a reason why they ghosted you or why they unfriended you or why you were dismissed. Sometimes you will never get an answer that is satisfying. Oh wow, now I understand. Sometimes life just has a way of dishing out a mouthful of disappointment, and all we're left is with that bitter taste of unmet expectations, failed plans, or unrealized hopes and dreams. And yet all of these, all of these puzzling hurts, they remind us that life is short, life is fragile, it is uncertain. Well, how do you react in those moments? How do you respond to what is unanswerable? What's your next move? Do you pray? What do your prayers sound like? Some people waste away their lives in bitterness, swallowed up in vengefulness. Others self-medicate to avoid dealing with their pain and their life kind of gets paused for the rest of their life, stuck in time. Others condition themselves to never trust and risk being vulnerable with anyone. But what do you do? Do you have the courage to ask God for what Moses prayed? Oh God, teach us to number my days. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Praying like this might necessitate eating a slice of humble pie because it acknowledges your own mortality. Admitting that your days are numbered. What's that word? Remaining that your days are numbered means that you're not in control, but only a sovereign God controls the number of your days. But when we embrace the reality of a sovereign God into our daily lives, it has a way of generating a wise use of whatever time you have left, even if you don't know how much time that is. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked the question. Can I give you an example from my personal life? I hope it'll help. Like most of you, even though I haven't shown my hands, I have some strong opinions and expectations about the decisions being made and the events happening in our world. Like you, I want things to be different because I just don't like them. I don't like how it's disrupting my life, interrupting my connection to friends and family. It has made work incredibly difficult and frustrating. Sometimes I've gotten angry because I want justice. 
At other times, I, I've had to fight depression because I feel powerless, and I've even gone through moments of feeling sorry for myself. But if I'm candid with you, trying to understand the unexplainable has been exhausting because I don't have all the information. And if I, even if I did have access to all the information, I don't think I have the wisdom to know what to do. I've had to come to terms with my own limitations. It's been a waste of my, time's life, of my life's time and energy, trying to figure out ways to change what is not in my domain because I'm learning I'm not all powerful. I'm relearning something that I thought I had already learned a long time ago, or maybe I'm just learning it for a new time or learning it again from this perspective. I am not God. That position in the universe has been filled. And if it wasn't filled, I'm not qualified. I need to stop meddling in his affairs. And that's difficult for someone who is self-sufficient, who has a take-charge personality, who is action-oriented. It's been humbling to admit my inability to affect change. Well, over the past year, I've made some new friends who have introduced me to the serenity prayer. I'm sure you're familiar with it. As I've sought to make decisions to live out the first line in this prayer, it's enabled me to experience the sovereignty of God in some new and fresh ways. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Trying to live out the first line of this prayer, asking God to make this true and to empower me to do this, that has dealt a major blow to my pride and my ego. And I think that's the point of the sovereignty of God. It, but it's also generated a wiser use of my life. You see, I'm learning that my life is short, fragile, and uncertain. That I've gotten too big for my britches, that I've thought too highly of myself. As I've done this and sought to live my life in this way, it's teaching me that there's tremendous peace when I release the grip of things that are not in my control. To accept things as they are and not how I want them to be. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I haven't, and I'm not throwing in the towel. This is, please don't hear hopeless resignation. That's not wise. I hope what you're hearing isn't resignation, but rest. Rest, resting in the sovereignty of God because I trust him. See, I realize that I've been foolishly wasting my life trying to resist the sovereignty of God by trying to change and control what I can't. My hope is to be wise with how I spend the rest of my life by trusting and resting in a sovereign God instead of resisting him. And so as a way to immediately do this point, would you join me in saying the first line of the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Calculating the brevity of life teaches us 
that a sovereign God controls how brief our lives will be. Don't forget that Moses' prayer was informed by what he was experiencing leading the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. As Moses continues to talk to God in prayer, I think he's remembering the times when God got angry with him, with them, in verses seven and 11. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. We don't know what the specific events were that Moses was remembering. But if you were to do a scan of Israel's history in the wilderness, it seems that they were continuously on the wrong end of God's judgment and anger. And Moses' prayer here is acknowledging that their sin did not go unnoticed, that it aroused God's righteous anger, and they were the ones to bring upon themselves the full weight of wrath of an all-powerful God. So as Moses is recalling this, he realized that God's severe judgment was a reason that this entire generation died. Another sharp reminder of how short and fragile, uncertain life is. And here we come to the third reason why it's wise to calculate the brevity of life. Calculating the brevity of life teaches us that a holy God is the judge of our brief life. Did you pick up on the words that Moses used to describe the effect that God's anger should have on us? Terror, moaning, sorrow. At the end, he, at verse 11, he said, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that, is, that we owe you, or that is due you. I think what he's saying is that we could all use a healthier dose of respect for God's holy anger and judgment because if we did, our responsiveness and submissiveness to him would be as great as his wrath. That's heavy. I, I don't know about you, but if this doesn't fill you with an awareness of how short and uncertain your lives is, I don't know what will. I mean, think about it. The fact that nothing is hidden from God's sight, it not only means that he knows everything, but he knows everything accurately. There's no fact checking him. He's aware of what I've done, what I am doing, and what I will do. See, I thought my wife and my kids were the only ones who really knew me, but he clearly sees my shortcomings and my failures, the gaps in my character, my addictive personality, my rebellious nature, my tendency to want and get what I want, and he's not okay with it. It doesn't just bother him or irritate him. It angers him. Well, how about you? How do you respond when you're made aware of your own depravity? How do you respond when the spirit reveals how corrupt your operating system really is? When's the last time you've taken a look, an honest look at what you're really capable of? You know those times when, you're, when your kids, friends, or therapists, they, they call you out for inconsistency between what you say and how you behave. What do you do, do you run? Hide? Or maybe you, you're one to bob and weave, slip and pivot your way out of accountability. When your spouse or your supervisor confronts you over, hey, I need to talk to you about your words and your actions and how it affected the team. 
Or, or maybe you're the narcissist who gaslights and redirects the blame so that others think that they're the cause of your indiscretion or lapse in integrity. What do you do? When the holiness of a righteous God exposes you and you become aware of his judgment, are you bold enough to pray what Moses prayed? Teach us to number our days. See, calculating the brevity of life in light of the anger and judgment of God, it is, it is scary, but it is also so wise. When you allow the fear of God's judgment to remind you of how small you really are and how short your life is, it will generate a wise use of the life that remains. How does that happen? Well, you stop running. You stop hiding. You realize how dumb that is. He is everywhere. He knows everything. Who am I hiding from? Where am I going? What? One of the signs that you're learning the wisdom that comes from counting your days is that it motivates you to get serious about living for him and pleasing him with the rest of your life. Oh, the wisdom that is generated when we integrate an awareness of our mortality into our daily lives is that it fuels your hatred for sin. Not their sin, your sin. It buttresses your resolve to protect your, your integrity. And it has a way of filling in the gaps of your character. Calculating the brevity of life teaches us that a holy God is the judge of our brief life. Finally, as we come to the last few verses, what I find interesting as Moses concludes is that there's a noticeable change in the tone of his prayer. I mean, it has seemed and felt kind of dark up until this point. It doesn't have to be. Look at how he concludes. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many, day, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of our Lord God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I hear tremendous hope. The sun has lifted, the fog has lifted, the sun has risen. And one possible reason for this hope-filled ending is that the awareness of the brevity of life in response to an eternal, sovereign, and holy God caused Moses to see his need for help. My life is so short, I need wisdom to live it out. I can't waste it frivolously, I need help. And that's what he saw. He saw God help them in the wilderness despite their faithlessness and inconsistency. God remained faithful to them. He kept his promise. Of course, he disciplined them, but he also loved them. Isn't that what a good God would do? And this brings us to the fourth and final reason why it is wise to calculate the brevity of life. It teaches us that a good God will rescue us from our brief life. A good God will rescue us. Perhaps this is what this psalm has been coaching and coaxing us to do. 
as an awareness of the brevity of life is integrated into our daily lives in response to the eternality, the sovereignty and holiness of God that you in turn will see how great and how urgent and desperate your need is. And that you would cry out to him and that he's there to help you in your time of need. See, this is what leads me to believe that this prayer isn't as fatalistic as I originally thought. Because the wisest decision we can make in response to how short our life is, is to cry out and reach out for the goodness of God. The God who can rescue and save you from your brief life. How does he do that? Jesus. What a beautiful name. You see, when you come to that point and you realize, man, my life is short, one of the questions that you ask is, am I ready? And there's no wiser decision to make than (laughs) do what God said to get ready. Believe in my son whom I sent to die on the cross for your sins. Repent of your sin. Believe in what Jesus did for you. Commit to follow him, no matter the cost, without excuses or conditions. And God promises to rescue you from the punishment, power, and the presence of sin. There's nothing wiser than that. And when you begin to live your life with that as your bullseye, with that as your motivation, with that as your focus, see, the Jesus follower doesn't have to fear the terror of the brevity of life because the gospel secures his life eternally. So believe in Jesus, trust in him, place your confidence in him. That is where your hope is. Now, if you've held up your measuring tape and and you realize, man, there's a lot of life that I have lived. Oh my gosh, I've wasted so much of it. Here's the wonderful thing about the goodness of God. He can redeem whatever time you have left. If you realize, man, I've lived a short, I have a short life and I have a lot of life left going forward. He can use all of that time. The point isn't knowing how much time. The point is knowing whatever time it is, it's brief, it's short, it's uncertain. Live it wisely. Amen? Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.